Amen. You know, we don't sing the amen, but feel free to shout amen at the end, you know. Any of you were at family camp this summer? I had the privilege to to go back and be the, the voice of family camp, meaning I get to lead the songs, right? But we also try to make sure family camp is enjoyable and energetic and everything. It's not exactly a Presbyterian worship service. So I said one of the one of the goals we have at family camp is to dispel completely once and for all the idea of the frozen chosen. And, you know, and that's what family camp said too. We of all people have a foundation for joy and to to show that joy, to show that love, to show that response to God's grace not with frowns and a dour demeanor and so forth. We're not like that Calvinistic lady who fell down the stairs and got up, dusted herself, and said, boy, I'm glad that's over with. We know that everything that happens to us happens so that we might be more and more conformed to Christ. And for that, in all things, that's why Paul says, in all things, give thanks. In all things. Well, let's read our scripture text together today from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. Just a, a few weeks ago, we dealt with the passage before this, where Paul warned Timothy about false teachers and demonic spirits and so on, uh, deceiving uh, teachers that would come into the church and, and bring false teaching. Uh, and uh, he, he says that they, uh, you need to be aware of this. You need to, to teach the truth. You need to, uh, and he lays out for Timothy some of the principles with which Timothy should, uh, should fight back against these false teachers. And he continues in our passage today. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds training or it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And here we end the reading of God's Word. 
it makes sense, as I kind of hinted, uh, hinted before, it makes sense that after warning Timothy about the deceptive, demonic teaching that he will encounter, and which we still encounter today, Paul would devote some of his space in this letter to guide Timothy in the way he should conduct his ministry. It's interesting, you know, because we, we are so caught up in the, the, current, the current fads, the current big, big stories. I, do, you, do you realize how our lives are influenced by dun, 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 breaking news? And you realize you've heard the story three times already. It's not breaking news anymore. But we are so caught up to be on the minute, every second, just completely dominated by what's going on in the world. <clears throat> and we are supposed to find some way to respond to that. And very often the response is some, oh, we've got to adopt a new strategy. We've got to, we've got to change everything in order to meet this new challenge. And, and you noticed, as we read this passage, that was not what Paul said. Timothy, you're going to face challenges. There will be false teachers. They will tell you they will forbid marriage. They will forbid certain kinds of food. They, and remember what we talked about. What is it that is so important about this false teaching? It's telling you that your faith in Christ isn't enough. You have to add something yourself. It is a denial of the sufficiency of Christ. That's what makes it a demonic, deceptive thing. God created food good, and he blessed it, and we should receive it with thanksgiving. And we should not make it kind of a, an extra thing that we do to show or to prove that we are righteous and that we have some special ability or something. No, ultimately that is a denial of the sufficiency of Christ. But you notice what Paul says here. In the light of this, Timothy, what Paul says is don't, don't adopt some new program and in a panic just throw out all the old and come in with the new so you can fight. No, it's actually the opposite. Timothy, persist in the basics of the ministry. We're about to, at the point of welcoming a new pastor to our church. Is he going to be charismatic? Is he going to be a people person? Is he going to be that, that kind of pastor that people just gravitate to because he's such a, a winsome personality? Well, you should be asking yourselves, is he going to be a faithful teacher, preacher of the Word of God? Because that's what Paul focuses Timothy's attention here. Is he going to be an example to the flock? Okay, so we're going to talk about today the imperatives of ministry basics. Paul, in light of the false teachers that will come, is saying to Timothy, do the basics faithfully. But these are not just suggestions, they are imperatives. I've got to give you a, a little bit of a grammar lesson in, in Greek grammar. It will be on the quiz next week. Pay attention. Verbs have tenses, voices, 
and moods. Tenses, of course, relate to the the time in which an action takes place, present, past, future. You can have perfect, uh, completed action. In Greek, the most common tense is called aorist. And the Greeks didn't think of things in the sense so much in past, present, future, but the aorist was a point in time. The aorist is a punctilier tense. It's a point in time. Well, most of what we have here are some participles, some 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 uh, uh, present tense aorist verbs. We have voices such as active voice and passive voice. Is the subject of the sentence actively doing something or receiving the action? Active or passive voice. And then moods. And that's where we find our lesson today because moods can be indicative, or at least two of the moods are indicative, which is a statement of fact. A statement of fact. It's, it's a rather calm, matter-of-fact mood. Why it's called a mood. Or it can be an imperative. What's an imperative? It's a command. It's not laid back, matter-of-fact. It is a command to get up and do something. And many of the verbs in this passage that we have read are in the imperative mood. And so that I, I just wanted to make that clear because what Paul is, is telling us and telling Timothy is this isn't just good advice from someone who's older and maybe a little wiser and who's been through these things and here's a Here's a few things I've learned that you might find profitable for your ministry, Timothy. No, these are commands from the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the important imperatives of the basic ministry of the pastor. I'm going to give you a list of the imperative verbs that we have here. Some are kind of negative. Don't do certain things. Don't do certain things. In the first point we have, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Has it, has it struck you that we live in a time of mythology, where we create myths? We're not so far different from the ancient world, are we? We, we, we have, oh, we call it misinformation, well, we call it all kinds of things, but we we have created our own modern mythologies. And Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's the first of the negative imperatives. The next one is, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, that's not necessarily a negative, but it does. it is phrased in a kind of a, don't let anyone, don't do this, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Just because you're young does not mean you have not been called by God to service. In fact, we'll see on the other side of this a, a corresponding positive imperative uh, for Timothy. It is a, a natural fact of life that if you're young, people think you're inexperienced, you don't know what you're talking about. We say he's not, not yet dry behind the ears. I never figured out exactly what that means, but 
I guess it means he's not mature yet. I keep checking my ears. And then a third one is do not neglect the gift you have. The Bible teaches us, of course, that God, Christ in particular, has distributed many gifts to his church. Paul writes about them in, in the latter part of the book of Ephesus uh, to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. And he says these gifts have been given by Christ, and the gifts are there so that God's people might be equipped for works of ministry. You, you, every pastor has been given gifts by God, sovereignly dispensed by God to equip him for his work. And those gifts are not to be neglected. They are to be refined and honed to a sharp edge. They are to be used. Some positive imperatives. Train yourself for godliness. How many times have you heard pastors who have ruined their ministries because of sin in their lives? Sin that has become public, that has ruined their reputation, ruined the testimony of their church. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. Notice that there is the action of training yourself. It is not something that happens automatically. And we also have enemy, an enemy who would love nothing more than to trip up the minister and ruin his work. Train yourself for godliness. Another positive imperative, set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. The pastor is not just someone who commands this or that, who orders you to do something and tells you this is God's will and you should be doing it and you should be guilty. If you're not doing it, you should feel guilty. He sets an example. He's not distant over here issuing instructions. He is one of us, and he is living his life openly before us so that we can see how the faith is to be lived out. And therefore, he is to be an example in his speech, in his conduct, love, faith, and purity. Paul does say, command and teach these things, and that word command is an imperative, and teach an imperative. Command and teach these things. The things that Paul has instructed Timothy in, the truths that form the, the gospel message, the truths that are given to us in Scripture, you are to command and teach these things. The next on the list, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. You see, this is the basics, isn't it? This is the basics. What is more basic to the ministry of the Word? That's why we call it the ministry of the Word. It is Scripture-oriented, and you are to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. I, I've always thought it was interesting, and I realized that back then, they didn't, you know, we didn't have Bibles that everybody could carry to church with them or, or have in their homes. We didn't have apps on your phone where the, you had uh, the Bible and 35 different versions of the Bible, and you could pull up whatever you want and, and so forth. I realize that in the first century they didn't have those things, but there, 
But and that's probably the main reason why Paul says to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading. The public reading of the scriptures was the way most people had access to the Bible. They they came together and heard it read. But even though we have these modern conveniences, there's still something about listening to the Bible being read that is especially effective. And it is something that we should do more and more, I think. Sometimes I think sometimes in our evening service, we should just take the time to read through a book of the Bible. Wouldn't that set everybody whispering, oh, no, he didn't prepare a sermon tonight. We're just going to do Bible reading. No, sometimes I think that would be good. Timothy is to not only devote himself to public reading, he's to devote himself to exhortation and teaching. Devoting yourself means this is the main focus of your ministry. You are devoted to this. You will sacrifice for this. I, 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 some, um, many years ago, and I don't often have this happen, but a young pastor asked me for advice for the ministry, and really this does not happen very often. And I told him this, I want you to remember these three rules. The first rule of the ministry, teach the Word of God. Second rule of the ministry, teach the Word of God. Third rule of the ministry, when not teaching the Word of God, find more opportunities to teach the Word of God. This is job one. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, teaching. This is the tool. This is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to nail eternal truth into the hearts of men and women and children. Devote yourself to it. Dedicate your life to the reading and teaching of this book in purity, in its purity. Paul amplifies this in a, a little later, and he says, immerse yourself in them. Another, another imperative. Immerse yourself. I was a good Presbyterian. I wish Paul had said, sprinkle yourself in them. But I understand this is, this is more, this is actually correct. Immerse yourself in them. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, and then finally persist in this. You notice where the, the emphasis is over and over again. And we'll come back to this in, when we talk about the basics, where we kind of focus on the main themes of these imperatives. I just wanted to list for you in this passage all the instructions to Timothy that are in the imperative mood. And I say this again, I'm repeating myself. Imperatives are not suggestions. Imperatives are commands. Imperatives are commands. This is, I, you know, we, we want to read a book that says the secret to a successful ministry. It's not a secret. Paul lays it out right here. Follow these imperatives. Follow these imperatives. 
The successful ministry is not gauged by how large your church is, though in God's good pleasure he may be pleased to expand the church and grow it under a man's ministry. The successful ministry is not gauged by how well people like you or how eloquent you are in the pulpit. The successful ministry is defined and evaluated by faithfulness to the Word of God and faithfulness to these imperatives. That is the faithful ministry. That is the good ministry. So let's look at the basics, and here we're going to pull many of these things together and kind of group them under topics. Uh, the first one is pursue godliness. So the pastor should, the minister should pursue godliness. This is a, a basic thing. This is, this comes in, in well, there's a popular term. I admit, I, I was ordained and, and, and I've been a minister for almost ooh, 47 years. And I never heard this term until about four years ago. It's called self-care. First time I heard it, I kind of chuckled. <laughs> what? What was? What is that? Well, I won't get into whether this whole concept of self-care for ministers, and it's basically, you know, as the name implies, taking care of your own needs, making sure you're well-rested, making sure you've got you're, you've got a sabbatical. No, we're giving sabbaticals to ministers now. We never we thought sabbaticals were for professors at universities so they could write their next book. You know, take a year off and write a book. Ministers having sabbaticals is a, a fair. In fact, I think it. I think I heard it at the same time I heard self care. I'm not going to uh, say that all of these things are some are are wrong. I think there's a, a use to them. They weren't particularly emphasized in our generation. They are more important now, or at least giving, given more importance now. But here's what self-care would mean to the Apostle Paul. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. Watch yourself. Watch yourself and your teaching. Self-discipline is at the heart of of pursuing godliness. In the book of Titus, the letter to Titus, which is similar to First and Second Timothy as a pastoral epistle, Paul writes this in Titus 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So pursue godliness, self-discipline, live a godly life in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Timothy, pursue godliness. People won't listen to you, by the way. You can be a fantastic preacher, but if the people see complete disorder in your life and worldliness in your life, you're not going to listen you're not going to listen. You will be entertaining them, but you are not going to be training them for godliness. You must yourself pursue godliness. Second Peter chapter 1, verses, verses 5 through 8 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there it is right there. The, the Christian life and the life that a pastor should be pursuing, as he is an example to the rest of the people of God that are, that are in, in the church that God has placed him over, he adds, he builds on, on faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness. Stead- See, it's a building process, and you're constantly making progress in this building And part of that building is to build godliness and brotherly affection and love. And notice what Peter says at the end. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, always pushing forward, always growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they keep you from being ineffective. Now, Peter was not necessarily writing just to pastors here. He was writing to people, to believers, but it is especially true for pastors. They, if you, these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue godliness. That's one of the basics. Alongside with that, kind of right alongside with that, is set an example. Set an example. Titus 2.7 Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. So in the the conduct of the ministry, the pastor is to demonstrate a good example. Does he get angry when somebody raises an inconvenient question? By the way, a good pastor loves inconvenient questions. Why? Because it gives him another chance to teach the Bible. We love questions. I, I love it when people say, well, we came to your church. You know, we've gone to another church, and, 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 and actually this church was really good, except that when we started learning the Bible, we started asking questions that they didn't want to answer. And they said, well, come on in. We, we love questions. We love, and we're setting an example when we do this, by the way. We're setting an example that we are here to help you understand the Scriptures. Show it in your teaching. Be res- be, in all respects, be a model of good works. You know, Paul, and Jesus said this too, and didn't he, in the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? The man who hears his words and does them is what? Like a man who builds a house on a rock. Floods come, the storms come, the rain comes, the wind comes, the floods come up. Remember that song we learned in Bible school? Floods came down, or no, the rain came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock, what, stands firm? Uh, The person who hears the words and doesn't do them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And the house on the sand, and remember how the song ends? The house on the sand fell flat. 
flat. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Do. Don't just say do. Don't just say you hear. Do. By the way, this is also part of that troubling message of the book of James. Don't just say you believe. Show your faith. Show your faith by what you do. We have Jesus, Paul, and James all pretty much saying the same thing here. 1 Peter 5, 2-3, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a way to conduct the ministry. It's not by domineering. It's not by just sitting there and issuing commands and expecting everyone to bow down to your ministerial authority. You are down in the trenches with your people, and you set them an example. So third basic, and this is something we rarely talk about for ministers because an ordination only happens once. But did you notice that Paul basically tells, tells Timothy here, remember your ordination. Remember your ordination. You took vows. That was the time, that's what he's referring to when he talks about the council of the elders and that, uh, that uh, uh, Timothy is to uh, not neglect uh, the gift that, that he has been given. <clears throat> do not, uh, referring back to verse 14 in our reading, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's his ordination. And the ordination apparently was done by a presbytery. That's called a council of elders. Remember that. Just like, just like it's a good idea for husbands and wives to remember their marriage vows, it's a good idea to remember for ministers to remember the vows that they took when they were ordained. These are solemn, binding oaths that we have to re- be refreshed with every now and then. A minister has a relationship to God, minister has a relationship to Jesus Christ, the head of the church, that is mediated by the council of elders in the act of ordination. He has been given a charge, a responsibility, and he needs to refresh his mind and his heart and his will by remembering that moment when he stood before witnesses and before God and took those vows. And then finally, in a way, the, again, this is the, the one that Paul spends much time in different places in this passage, devote yourself to reading, exhorting, teaching from the Scriptures. In a way, this is the foundation for everything else. This is the foundation for everything else. So you have imperative mood. It's a command. You have this list of basics. Pursue godliness. Set an example. Remember your ordination. Devote yourself to reading, exhorting, teaching from the Scriptures. Those are the basics. What's the purpose? 
it's wrapped up in that last statement that Paul makes here. For by doing this, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Notice again that the minister is identified with the people. We, we have developed this kind of concept that the, well, having grown up, well, I didn't actually grow up in the Dutch tradition, but I was born into the Dutch tradition. And you know, we call the pastor Domini. The Domini. The Domini is on a pedestal. The Domini is almost unapproachable. He is a minister of the Word. If he deigns to look your way, you should feel blessed. I'm exaggerating a little. But you notice in this passage, Paul does not tell Timothy, you need to be constantly reminding them that you are a minister of word and sacrament. You're down in the trenches with them, which is why you set an example, which is why you pursue godliness, which is why in the purpose of all of this, you are saving yourself and those who hear you. Your life is bound up with their lives. You are not separate. Remember when I was many years ago when I was much younger, and fortunately this was advice I didn't actually take, but it was an older minister who said you should not make friends in the congregation. You should not develop close relationships because that will interfere with your ability to pastor the whole church. I can see where that might get out of hand, but I actually don't think that's good advice. We are brothers and sisters. We are part of the same body. We have different functions and different roles to play in this body, but we are in this together. And the pastor needs to identify with his people and realize that his ministry has a reflexive aspect to it, that as he's teaching you, he's teaching himself. As he's devoting himself to the scriptures so that he might present them to you, he is bringing himself under the discipline of the scriptures and the learning of the scriptures. The purpose for all of this, that he might, you might save yourself and your hearers. I think it's really important that as we're looking forward to the coming of our new pastor, that we refresh our minds. These are, these are the expectations. You, the, the members of this church, and, and you who are visitors, you know, you have this, you, you can go back to your own church. This, this is what you should be expecting from your pastor. This is what you should be expecting from your pastor. This is his job description. The imperatives of the basics of the ministry. This is what we expect and with, this is also how we help the pastor, too. We are not sufficient for these things, I confess. And sometimes, and, and we depend upon your prayers and your encouragement and your support and sometimes your admonishment so that we continue to do the basics of the ministry faithfully. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we ask that you would take these truths that Paul has written under the inspiration of the script of the Spirit. Pray that you would take these truths and drive them into our hearts and minds that we might not forget them, uh, but remember them and apply them, especially at this point in the life of this congregation. We pray, Father, that you would bless these people through the ministry of the pastor who will be coming in just a few short weeks. We pray, Father, that you would be preparing him so that he might be a faithful minister and do the basics of the ministry that are imperatives for him and for us. We pray, Father, that you would bless the, ch the church, bless it in the way that you have ordained its blessing to fall out, we pray. We pray, Father, that the truth might be proclaimed here, that people would know their Savior more and more here, that we might sing and pray and read and praise and hear and do all that you have given to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.